welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Charlotte. I'm Chad. And we are so glad that you're listening today, but we also want to hear from you. You can go to heavenlybanquet.com and join our Substack, where we now have a comment section. That's what the internet needs. That's the best thing on the <laughs> internet, <laughs> a comment section. Um, but ours is pretty heavily moderated. And um, but uh, you can chat with us there and we'll try to keep it, keep things civil and intelligent and uh, hopeful. Today, Chad, we are mm-hmm. going to begin a series of, I think, three episodes. I hope this is this is a promise we can keep. I believe in us uh, to kind of talk about <laughs> the afterlife. So today we're going to talk a little bit about kind of what happens, what happens when we die, according to scripture, the Christian tradition. Uh, And then we'll have separate episodes where we'll look at the concept of hell or eternal punishment. And we'll look at, or not, maybe not, not. uh, but uh, those kinds of angles and questions. And then sort of what, what is heaven? What is the expectation? What are the depictions within scripture? So, but today, what happens when we die? This seems like, I know some of you listening are probably thinking, well, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. What, what, is, this, what is this preamble episode for? But the <laughs> tradition seems to have uh, differing opinions, perhaps, on this. So I'm going to invite you, Chad, to kind of get us started here on, on this question, or what is the question, really? So the question is, what happens when we die? Meaning, as soon as you die, kind of what's the next thing that happens or what's the process you go through, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know, Charlotte. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think anybody does, really. Uh, but, like you say, the scriptures have some things to say about the process, tradition, but it's kind of ambiguous what the scriptures have to say. The tradition has been a little bit less ambiguous. But I think most people assume, you know, we die and go to heaven. I guess the question is, is there a time period in between dying and going to heaven? And the answer to that question is maybe. (laughs) Maybe. And maybe it matters and maybe it doesn't to us, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to kind of start by bringing in a little bit of material or background from the Hebrew Bible Jewish tradition, because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Paul today, not a lot of time, but that's where we get most of our insights on this question. So first, I think it's important to note that in the Hebrew Bible, the afterlife basically doesn't exist. Uh, You know, there's some points to a sort of Sheol uh, darkness um, maybe just annihilation, but that's not really the concern of the Hebrew Bible, right? And certainly there isn't a concern around individual judgments, judgments and rewards in some kind of afterlife, right? Mm-hmm. So the blessings and curses of this world are for the people, the community of Israel, and are meted out you know, in real time let's say, um, and particularly by the 
the invading people that God keeps sending upon them, right? right. Um, and then it's not until we see some in the wisdom literature, some talk about some kind of individual rewards and punishments, but that again is really in this life. So what we Christians are kind of missing, missing here is a bunch of intertestament. Wait, what's the word, Chad? Intertestamental. <laughs> Intertestamental. <laughs> Boy, I, you know how many more syllables I wanted to add? <laughs> <than that>? <laughs> uh, <laughs> wowie, zowie. Uh, intertestamental material, um, where we will see more of a development of an idea or the tradition fleshing out uh, immortality of the soul and, and what may or may not happen after death. Um, and so Paul's really bringing that with him in, in these letters when he's answering these questions. Um, yeah. And so we know, at least by, from, let's say, the historian Josephus and others that they're really looking at, this is very simplistic too, y'all, but um, sort of three Jewish philosophies and two, the Essenes and the Pharisees have embraced the idea of immortality of the soul and an afterlife that involves in some way reward and punishment, judgment okay. for how you've lived in this life, right? Um, and okay. Josephus doesn't actually mention uh, the resurrection. Of course, he's writing to a Roman audience, right? Um, so he kind of talks mm -hmm. more about um, reincarnation than that, but it seems like he's explaining um, of resurrection of the body. And it seems like the Pharisees believe in that. And we see yeah. from the questions to some of the questions posed uh, to Jesus in the gospel uh, seem to be around this issue as well. Oh, and then of course the third category, Sadducees are gonna dismiss this. They're the only group that's just rejected, Jewish group rejected the idea of immortality of the soul and any kind of po post-mortem reward and punishment. And so which one of these three traditions would Paul fall into? Pharisees. Pharisees. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's really the theological background he's working in when he's answering these questions. If you were just reading, I'm trying to note this because y'all, if you're just reading, you know, our Bible as literature, Paul seems to have all of these big theological ideas, whatnot, that don't seem to be founded in the gospel or particular things that Jesus says, or they seem to leak from those in kind of extreme ways. No. Um, but this is the tradition. This is, um, it's a tradition in which Jesus operated too. So it's right. not that Paul's bringing something new in uh, some new theological perspective into um, his interpretation of the life and work of Christ. Um, but, but that's kind of what we're missing as far as like texts to point to, as far as proofs yeah. to point to. So then we have that tradition then through Paul in his letters. Yeah, I mean, in, in the vast majority of Old Testament texts, everybody goes to the same place, Sheol. Mm -hmm. And at some point they start developing a more robust idea of the afterlife that as you mentioned, is not embraced by the Sadducees. They only hold to the first five books of the Old Testament. 
but is embraced by Pharisees and Jesus and therefore Paul. And yeah, we don't do we, we don't have a lot to go on in terms of how that developed. But by the time you get to Jesus and Paul, there is this more robust conception of the afterlife and resurrection. So back to the question of what happens when we die. You have Jesus saying to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Right. Seems immediate. (laughs) Seems immediate. And Paul says a lot of similar things, I think. You know, in um, 2 Corinthians, he says, for me, living is Christ, dying is gain. If I'm in the flesh, that means I can labor with y'all. I don't know which I prefer. I'm hard pressed. And then he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better. Seeming to imply that when you die, you're with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, that's out of Philippians. The passage out of uh, 2 Corinthians 5, he says, you're either away from the body and at home with the Lord or vice versa. So it makes it, again, seem like it's one or the other. Either you're alive or you're with Christ. Or at least it makes it sound immediate. Right. Um. And at one point in 2 Corinthians 5, this is at the beginning of that chapter, he says, he says, in this tent, he means in this body, we groan, we long to be clothed with our heavenly tent or heavenly dwelling. He says, we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Mm. That sounds like we don't want to die and then wait around for our heavenly body, right? We want, we don't want to be unclothed. We want to be further clothed. So again, there's kind of this impression that as soon as you die, you're in paradise with Christ, with these, you know, resurrected spiritual bodies. On the other hand, (laughs) (laughs) and this is Paul again, and of course, we can talk about the book of Revelation kind of supports this other hand. On the other hand, he has these areas where he talks about the resurrection, right? Right. First uh, Corinthians 15. And then again, in first uh, Thessalonians, he'll talk about, you know, a, a trumpet will sound and the dead are raised imperishable. Um, for instance, in first Thessalonians, he'll say, um, By no means do those who are alive precede those who have died. But the Lord himself, with an archangel's call, will descend from heaven. The dead will rise first. And then together, I guess they're changed from mortality into immortality. So now it sounds like the dead are waiting for these, for their spiritual body, for paradise and so on. So I think if you're just reading the scriptures and you're thinking about what happens when we die, the question that comes up is, do we die and go to Christ? Do we die and wait for the resurrection or is it somehow both? Yeah. And I think that the answer to that question is also difficult to discern because it ends up conflated with other issues, right? So particularly, you know, in the Thessalonians passage that we're talking about, like it seems to be around this issue or answering a question that those the people have around mm-hmm. like well, what about the believers who have died before the second coming and the judgment uh-huh. right 
So this expectation too of that having been should have been more immediate, right? And should have been within yeah. a generation, which is actually what it kind of sounded like. At some places, it sounds like that's what Jesus has promised. And then in other places, mm-hmm. he just keeps repeating, you, you will never know <laughs> kind of, kind of things. Yeah. Um, I'm going to sneak up on y'all. Um, like a thief in the night. And so, but that's interesting then, you know, thinking about that context when he's talking about, when Paul's talking about the dead rising first and then the alive um, being caught up in the clouds, etc. You know, is that, is he talking about something temporal or a real order there? Or is he really trying to alleviate these people's fears yeah. and saying, no, 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 this is, this is part of it. You know, we don't have to worry about these folks. They will, they will be risen um, and are going to still be joined with us. Um, so we, we're prioritizing them. them. Yeah. It's an interesting question too. I guess the other issue surrounding it for me is, you know, this constant tension between the temporal and the eternal, right? So mm-hmm. what you've alluded to with this idea of, would we experience it any differently if we died and then the, you know, the judgment, the resurrection wasn't for another few thousand years or something, you know, am I experiencing the passage of time in that way? It's hard to think of it like that. I don't experience the passage of time when I'm just asleep. Um, Mm -hmm. But then also, you know, even with, you know, Jesus's promise to the thief, saying you know today you will be with me in paradise what the heck does today mean when we're talking about an eternal place you know something that stands outside of time um Mm -hmm. is that really immediate is is he talking about because jesus doesn't seem to be in paradise on that day the day of the crucifixion (laughs) um i mean he's gonna go through the harrowing of hell and the resurrection Mm -hmm. and we haven't gotten through easter yet and yet he's saying this so there's a block here in which we're trying to think through Mm -hmm. eternal mysteries in a very temporal ordered historical kind of fashion and that's just not the way that we we don't experience anything that way so it's just outside of of our language um even and so i think I wonder how much confusion around here is just, you know, there isn't a way to verbalize these things because it's so beyond our understanding because it's so beyond our experience. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I have my own opinion on it, but I do think that's a part of the issue here is we have to think in temporal terms. And so when you start talking about Dying and being in Christ, and how does that work with the general resurrection and second coming? It's hard to. But nonetheless, the church, I would say, both for Orthodox traditions, Catholic traditions, and Protestant traditions, have had kind of a set idea of how this works, right? That we die, and then there we go. And when we die, we're in Christ, we're with Christ, as Jesus and Paul say. But that being in Christ is an intermediate period until the second coming in judgment. And then once the second coming in judgment occurs, that's when the general resurrection occurs. 
And then from that point on, you're at your final state. I don't think most people, well, I think a lot of Christians, when they think about I die and I go to heaven, they're not thinking about this process that the tradition has pretty much held up. Right. But as you say, it depends on how you think about that process in temporal or eternal terms. Because from our experience, it could be that, you know, we die and the very next experience we have is at the resurrection, the second coming, the judgment. Yeah. So this idea that we're sleeping, which is a very common language in the New Testament, just means we're not conscious from between those two experiences. Maybe. I mean, we don't. What do I know, Charlotte? <laughs> more than most, uh, yeah. I and I wonder how much more it's co- the issue is completed too, because this process we want to call it that is occurring in both realms, right? Both in the eternal and the temporal. If for no other reason, right, then mm-hmm. the body is or the material world is somewhere else, which was again a really huge more of a concern for the early church and early Christianity than I think it is for most Christians today, but that y'all know, right. That like the main way of disposing a body in the Roman empire was through cremation. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just not safe to have dead bodies around. Right. right? Um, And there's no room for them in cities and whatnot. And then it's the Christians who are worried about this, process about the resurrection of the dead about the resurrection of the body about what's going to happen to these believers who have passed before Mm -hmm. um, the second coming uh, are then burying people are you know creating catacombs and things out far outside of the city to preserve the matter that was part of the body you know and then you have augustine asking questions like well what happens with my hair clippings and my nail clippings and whatnot (laughs) um you know and the fact that like material from a body is now a tree or a cat or you know whatever else but um where then you get into the really fun stuff that i love the most to worry about not worry about but to um to debate about because it seems like it hardly matters but um (laughs) but there's this idea too of also of the the living believers right of helping to prepare for this moment by also preparing and taking care of the dead um, who are still understood as being part of their community even if currently separated right so there's more continuity between the eternal and the temporal you're saying in the early church because of the way they're thinking about that well even if we're thinking about this idea of if i i die Mm-hmm. my soul whatever i'm in christ in some disembodied way mm-hmm. right until the general resurrection judgment activity mm-hmm. well then i'm in let's say in an eternal place with christ disembodied but i'm going to be reconnected to this material world in some way at this general resurrection right so it's still happening that's still part of the process it's still an important thing and then i think if we're looking at 
you know, the text from Revelation and whatnot, that's it, not an escape from this world, isn't what we'll, I guess we'll get more into this when we talk about heaven and what the afterlife really looks like. Mm-hmm. But this world and history still somehow matters. Some folks have taken it too far to think about how this world or history might interact with the second co- coming in the last judgment, right? So we have the folks who somehow are pressing toward it who think that's a good a good idea to actually destroy this world to make it happen oh, yeah. um but but human history is still part of this activity and i think and they're getting some of that though from i guess let's i brought up revelation so let's talk a little bit about that because that's another place where it looks like oh there are already people in heaven they're worshiping there's saints circling the throne. This is the mm-hmm. text we sing, um, you know, the Sanctus within the, the uh, sacrament of the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist of this eternal worship. So there's saints and martyrs already there, but also they're, they're waiting. sleeping. Yeah, yeah, they're waiting. Yeah, in Revelation 9, you have the martyrs ask, you know, when is the judgment going to happen? What are you waiting for? When are you going to make things right? Essentially is what they're asking. (laughs) And they're given white robes and they're told to rest a while longer until basically the number of martyrs is fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So the image you have are they're there, they're with Christ, but yet they're not. The judgment hasn't happened. And they're sleeping. It's kind of this idea. I don't want to say soul sleep, but they're sleeping. They're not. Right. I don't know. It's very confusing. And maybe that's where we have to end up. It's confusing. But um, it's just hard to kind of navigate. How does this how does this work? I don't know. I mean, it does seem really depends. At least tradition seems to latch on to this idea that martyrs for sure, saints probably, but get some Mm -hmm. kind of fast track. Right. Like they have like. um, Okay. They have TSA pre-check or global entry into heaven, right? That they're not waiting somehow. Uh, I mean, uh, that's the tradition more than it's it's a it's Bible passages like that where the folks yeah that's are, why yeah. are looking at, but it's saying you know like these people have have more than proven themselves. Why would they wait for some kind of test? You know, for a judgment. Mm-hmm. Like we already know what the answer is there. Yeah. Okay. And then that's where you end up, you know, this development of the cult of the saints and whatnot. You're sitting, you, we are assuming, you know, Polycarp, that you are at the right hand of God now. So I'm including, yeah. why wouldn't I ask you? You're my friend. You're from my community. You were part of my generation or part of this lineage that I'm a part of. So yeah, I'm going to ask you to maybe put in a good word for me because you're already there. Um, and you're still alive (laughs) yeah you're you're in with christ right now i i have complete faith that's true um so i've got a friend up there um who can help and intercede with me for me but i mean but like you know it's confusing confusing. (laughs) and i don't think it's meant to be uh anything less than confusing Maybe that's maybe that's all we could tell people because we got another. I, I guess the other you know, confusing point that I bring up, or the, one of the signs at the crucifixion, 
we have the like the rending of the temple cloths, you know, maybe darkness and thunder, other signs and symbols. And then we have the graves opening and the saints rising, Lisa Matthew, and it looks like oh, it's already happening in some way. Yeah. And what that's like, that is wild too, that that gets like, there's no follow-up on that. (laughs) Where did those folks go? Oh my gosh, it's like Night of the Living Dead around here now all of a sudden. (laughs) This is wild. Uh, Like there's no more mention of that, right? Or Lazarus. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Well, Jesus raised him again. This, yeah. I mean, I guess he died again. <laughs> that sounds so bad. I prefer to think he's still here somehow. <laughs> it's, uh, well, it just maybe. makes me feel better to think it seems unbearably cruel that someone would have to die twice. Although yeah. it does seem unbearably <laughs> cruel too that if he was raised and then had to see his family's family and loved ones die. I don't know. Um, yeah. It just seems maybe that's maybe <clears throat> that's part of the point of of waiting for a general resurrection is it's just too painful otherwise to watch if you were meant to have to watch human history um, oh, from where you were and not be a part of it or helpful in any way maybe that is the blessing of sleeping and waiting. Um, is to actually to be completely sidelined somehow but i guess i guess back to the lazarus story i mean he's you know i mean the language that jesus uses there and with um the little girl he raises is just kind of get up like they're sleeping yeah he uses the language of sleep so it's something at any rate it's something temporary and at least for at least for the Lord of all creation is as easy to raise people as to, as an alarm clock, as to say, get up, it's time, you know, yeah. come out. That's definitely the main point I take away from all the sleeping language that they're asleep in the Lord, that is temporary. Um, and like when I, I don't know, I don't have a lot of dreams. When I go to sleep, the next moment I'm awake. So maybe that's how the whole experience goes. I don't know. I, I tend to think, I'll tell you, this is probably just me, but I don't like emphasizing too much the separation of body and soul. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what that means. A, a disembodied soul is ubiquitous. It has to have some kind of something to make it temporary and finite. Um, even angels have spiritual bodies at least when they appear to people, when Paul talks about our resurrected bodies, they're not physical bodies in the sense of mortal decaying bodies or spiritual bodies, but they're still bodies. So I don't, I don't like the idea that we have a body, then we're disembodied, then we have a body. I don't know that Paul thinks that. When I read Paul, he seems to be saying we have a physical body that can decay and die. And then we have a spiritual body that, you know, is true life in Christ, so on and so forth. Can't die, can't decay. Right. So that leads me to think that that this intermediary state, either it doesn't exist in the space between the temporal and the eternal, or 
I don't know. At least as far as our experience goes, we just go from one to the other. So in some sense, when we say we die and then we go to heaven, it's true. We're not waiting around somewhere. <laughs> right. Um, and, and so this idea that there's this disembodied soul waiting somewhere until the resurrection, I don't even think that's necessary. But that's just me. Yeah, but you're, I mean, you're, I agree, but then we do, I mean, we do have those passages that you mentioned from Paul that seem to talk about being in Christ somehow before the actual yeah. resurrection. And then we have this language too, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the famously in Handel's Messiah, right? Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We'll not all die but we will all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. So even mm -hmm. he's mixing kind of uh, temporal ideas there. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you really want to read that on face value, because it's like uh, immediate in a moment, a twinkling of the eye at the last right. trumpet. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, incorruptible, and we will be changed. Immediately. Know, yeah for this the living and the dead mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know i don't know that matters that we know isn't that i think something curious here to me is that if you think about kind of philosophy of religions um the ideas of religions kind of mm -hmm. seek to answer this sort of existential dread right and and I think the most pressing question about what happens when we die, you know, and all the world's faiths have some different answer to that, whether it's reincarnation or a judgment or nothing, you know, of some sort. And then yeah. ours is so ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe the point in some of that is to just keep pulling back to you know it's this world it's this world it's this world that really matters in you know in some ways and and again you know we'll talk maybe talk more about that when we talk about heaven but i mean the you know in revelation it's not that we're drawn up it's that the city of god comes down you know mm -hmm. to this world but that the the lessons and the things that we're told are to love other people here now, you know, to mm -hmm. make this world a better place here now. And that that's the focus that these questions are, are mysteries that we get to see through some kind of veil perhaps, but shouldn't be what's going to occupy our minds other yeah. than the fact that, what happens will seem to be have be consequential to what has happened here. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's that line where Paul says, you know, no eye has seen or no ear heard nor human heart conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I mean, I think we're supposed to have this hope that, look, death is, does not have the final end. So don't fret that. But that's supposed to enable us to live the life now, the kingdom now. You know, the kingdom that is coming, we are meant to live that kingdom now 
based on the sure hope that even death can't separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That's kind of what I hear you say. Um, you know, it tells us just enough to know, look, it's going to be good. You've never conceived of how good it's going to be, but it's going to be good. So get busy living the life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is kind of, you know, don't worry about that. We, I'm taking care of that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I have taken care of that in, you know, in the work and the incarnation and the resurrection. Um, that's, that's all sorted now, okay? Mm -hmm. So what you have to focus on are the things I actually asked you to do. Yeah. Um, which is this relentless pursuit of love and the good for one another. So what happens when we die, Charlotte? You know, I know we say, I know, I know it wouldn't matter if it were like sleep and then a trumpet that what I would experience is death and then trumpet, I guess, it, it, but mm -hmm. I sure would love some rest. <laughs> <laughs> like a good uh, 300 year dirt nap. There's just something really appealing about finally being like, oh, great. <laughs> and good night. I'll just see y'all later. I'm just gonna <laughs> really, I just, I just, I'm so tired. <laughs> oh, oh. And I think, otherwise, I think I'd be like, oh my gosh, if, if the experience really is like, let's let's say I get one of those sort of ideal deaths with my loved ones around me and my some music playing and prayers or something, and and it's just very beautiful and peaceful and whatnot. If like that happens and things go dark and then there's a trumpet, I'm gonna wake up very mad. <laughs> <laughs> What are you waking me up for? <laughs> Can I just have a few more millennia? Come on, my dude. I was really, I was promised sleep and rest and peace. I was just getting into it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to plow on through, man. I want to see. Yeah. Oh. It doesn't matter. It'll all be good. <laughs>